history there. Now, I'm going to ask you if you would to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And what I'd like to do today is talk to you about claiming the promises of God. Claiming the promises of God. Let me ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, please. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. I'm going to go through verse 24, but our focus today is on verse 20. If you don't remember anything else from today's message, if you'll simply remember verse 20 is important, that will be the focal point. Verse 18, Paul writes this, As God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes And in him, amen, which means so be it, to the glory of God through us. Paul goes on to explain, verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also sealed us and has given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Pray with me. Father, we have met in this place to worship you. So Lord, we're going to ask you right now, would you help us to put down everything that would be a preoccupation or something to be worried about and Lord help us to give attention to what you want to say today Father I pray you'll speak through me I pray that you would be glorified in the sense that people will leave here knowing how great a Savior we have how great a God we worship Lord speak through me that's my prayer Jesus name we pray this amen you may be seated We just sang a hymn a few minutes ago, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There's a story behind that hymn. One of the great epics in church history occurred in the early part of the 1500s. Roman Catholicism had absolutely controlled Western civilization. And the problem with it was not not Catholicism as such, but the fact that it had become corrupted. And people were were just, they were put under tremendous burdens to work, to serve. And and they were, in that day and time, uh, there was an effort to raise money for Rome. So they they were doing this. They were selling indulgences. And their mindset was this. All the work that Jesus did and all the work that the saints have done has created a treasury of merit. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sell some of that merit and if you will buy a an indulgence for a certain amount of money then your loved ones who are already dead and suffering in purgatory they'll be out because you paid for them to get out and when you die you won't have to go to purgatory you can go right into heaven because you have paid a a price in money there was a man named Tetzel he was going all over 
Germany. And he was asking people to buy indulgences. And his little mantra was this. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And people were just consumed, not with biblical truth, but with tradition that was absolutely enslaving. There was a priest named Martin Luther. And the more this grew and became influential, the more burdened he was. He was a man who'd walked through his own trial. He'd done everything he knew to to earn his salvation, and yet nothing seemed to work. And finally, it's like the Lord just said, okay, Martin, I'm going to let the light turn on for you. And all of a sudden, the light bulb came on. Didn't have light bulbs back then, but that's another story. The light came on when he realized that the just shall live by faith. It's not by works. It's not by what you pay. It's not by what you give. It's not how hard you serve that earns your merit before God. The just are those who simply come to God in simple, childlike faith, put their faith and trust in Jesus. And just put, simply trust him, and that's it. It's not trust and faith plus works. It's simply trust and faith in who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us on the cross. The reason we talk so much about the cross is because that's where Satan did his worst, and that's where God did his very best. The Word of God says, The Father laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. So he took our punishment for sin so that you and I might be forgiven and be saved, and have an eternal destiny in heaven. Martin Luther took a stand. It was what we would call Halloween night, October 31st, 1517. And Martin Luther had had all he could stand of the indulgences and all that was being perpetuated on the people of Germany. And so he wrote what's called 95 Theses, 95 Propositions. He wanted to debate these. He said, the Catholic Church has gotten off base and we need to get it back on target. But the problem is, they didn't want to hear Martin Luther. They didn't want to listen to anything he had to say. They were making money, kind of like the money changers in the temple during Jesus' day. And so Martin Luther took a stand and he wouldn't back down. And so that what they did, they had a, what's called a diet, which is kind of like a symposium, a, a big meeting, <laughs> a business meeting, okay? And Martin Luther was told, you cannot teach what you're teaching. Just live by faith. And and so there's this big encounter, big power encounter. I mean, it's basically John Eck, the, the, the great spokesman for Roman Catholicism, and Martin Luther butting heads. And so what happened was this. The Roman Catholic Church said, we're going to excommunicate you. And the word was out that he's to be executed. After all, the, the, the last... Four or five hundred reformers had been burned at the stake. That's what they did with people who were out of step. But something happened. The night that that Martin Luther took his stand, he was kidnapped. There was a man named Frederick the Elector. Kind of like a governor. 
And they kidnapped Martin Luther. And they took him to this huge castle called the Wartburg Castle. And there they didn't even tell everybody Martin Luther's name. He was just George. They even changed his name. Just George. And it was there that he was protected from the, the threat of being executed by the Roman Catholic Church. And looking back to that experience, Martin Luther said, you know, God is like that huge castle. And when everything is, is crumbling around us, he said, God is strong and God is faithful. He says, a mighty fortress is our God. And he sat down and he wrote the words of that hymn. Now, why did I tell you that story? Very simply, it's this. Our God is a God who makes promises and a God who keeps promises. And he says, if you're one of my kids, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will lead you. And eventually, I'll bring you right into my family. And you can come home forever with me in heaven. Martin Luther put it this way. A mighty fortress is our God. Paul said this. He said, our God is a promise-keeping God. You know, if you go back and study the life of Paul, and, and I've studied the life of Paul, you'll discover there are two things that kept Paul going. First of all, was knowing the Lord Jesus. And second of all, was the fact that he kept claiming the promises of God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, just so you'll know, I did not bring my wristwatch. My phone is in my back pocket that can tell me what time it is. And so I'm not, on, I'm not on a time frame. I asked Daniel, as before we started, I said, how long does church usually last? He said, well, uh, oh, a little bit over an hour. I said, well, two hours. He said, probably if you go four hours, nobody will be here when you finish. Uh, so I'm not going to go that long. But what I want to do today is I want to talk to you very quickly, very succinctly, and hopefully very clearly about how you can claim the promises of God. And I'll say this, if you will learn the promises and claim the promises, it will make an incredible difference in your life. You won't be the same person when you realize it's, it's you trusting God, just like Martin Luther did. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to talk to you about claiming the promises of God. The focal part of the sermon today is out of verse 20. Look with me right there. Verse 20 says, for all the promises of God, not some promises of God, all the promises of God, in Jesus, in Him, are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Claiming the promises of God. Let's talk about that. Three things. Number one, it requires knowing the identity of God, okay? It requires knowing who God is. And there are two things I want to say to you about that. First of all, we have a promise-giving a, a promise God, a promise-making God. All the promises of God. Our God makes promises, okay? He is not the figment of somebody's imagination. As the, the new atheists want to say, he, 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 their argument is that man created God. No, God created man. And God sits on the throne and he runs the universe. 
And eventually every one of us, all of us, each one of us is going to give an account of our lives to this God who created us and wants to redeem us and who sustains us in our life. We have a promise-making God. Consider this. To Adam and Eve, he said, God, I'm going to give you a second chance. Let me ask you this. Have you ever needed a second chance? To Noah, he said, I'm never again going to destroy the world by flood. You know, we've lived through some floods. We thank God that he's never going to destroy the world again through a flood. To Abraham, he said, I'm going to make you a great and mighty nation. And against incredible odds, when even Abraham had a hard time believing, God made Abraham a great and mighty nation. To Moses, who said, I'm going to deliver my people and I'm going to use you. And, and this, is, this is my paraphrase of how Moses responded, God, you got to be kidding I mean, if God called you to do a great work, you might think, Lord, that is absolutely impossible. And God would look right back at you and say, nothing's impossible with me. Moses, I want you to deliver my people out of slavery. To all the prophets, he gave a, a glimpse here and a glimpse there of a coming Messiah. Promises. The point is this. We have a promise-making God. Can you agree with me that we have a promise-making God? Amen. But listen, it gets better than that. We not only have a promise-making God, we have a promise-keeping God. You know, when I was younger, I had my two... Fern and I have two daughters, Ashley and Hillary. They both have turned out very well. Ashley's a mom uh, with two wonderful, 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 wonderful uh, grandsons of us, of ours. And, uh, and she's also an attorney and a professor that teaches uh, along with her husband out at Oklahoma Baptist University. Uh, my other daughter is, uh, is, a, is an actress and a writer, owns two businesses. She's very successful. And we have been blessed beyond measure with our children and our grandchildren. And the thing that I, I, one of the things that I remember with that, my kids, that, boy, they, they, have an elef- they have a memory like an elephant. They never forget and I can remember on multiple occasions them saying words like this, Daddy, you promised. Daddy, you said so. Well, to the best of my ability, I kept the promises. And I gave them what I promised. But sometimes I'm sure I failed. But I want to tell you this. We have a God in heaven who runs this universe not only does he make promises, he keeps promises, and he keeps all of his promises. All the promises in Christ are yes and amen. That's what he says. We have a promise-keeping God. Now, let me just give you some examples out of Scripture. One of my favorite stories around Christmas time is the story about, about Simeon. Look back to Luke chapter 2 for just a moment, please. Luke chapter 2. And the, the story is that uh, Jesus has been born, and now they have brought him to the temple for dedication. In chapter 2, verse 25, the scripture says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation or the promise of Israel or to Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. 
So he came by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the laws, his, his circumcision, he took him up in his arms and he blessed him. And this is what he said. Lord, he's praying, holding the baby Jesus and praying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign which will be spoken against, and yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. God made a promise to Simeon. God kept his promise to Simeon. Or consider Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as as he is, is lamenting and writing, cites Deuteronomy and says, Lord, you said if we rebel, you judge us. We rebelled. Yes, you judged us. He's just being reminded That what God promised, God delivered. Or consider Acts 17. Looking with just a moment there. Acts 17, verse 26 and verse 27. This is Paul preaching Mars Hill. And he says, "And, And he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And he goes on to say, for in him we move and we live and move and have our being. He goes on to preach to those folks at Mars Hill. He said, basically our God is the living God. You remember how he approached Mars Hill and he said, I've noticed that you're very religious people. You've got a statue over here that says to the unknown God, that's the one I'm talking to you about. Now what I want to say to you is this. When you talk about or think about claiming the promises of God, you first of all have to know the identity of God, that he is a God who makes promises and keeps promises, okay? He makes promises and keeps promises. Let me go a step farther. Number two. Claiming the promises of God not only means knowing the identity of God, it means it requires embracing the intentions of God. It says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. Now, there are two key ideas here. First of all, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Okay? You say, what does that mean? That God is not going to say, okay, I've got some promises, but they're not, not for you. I've got some promises, but they're not for you. You know, I don't know about you, but I'd be, I'd be real uneasy if somebody said, here are all the promises, but they're not for you. I've got lots of promises, but they're not, not for you. God says, I've made a lot of promises, and every one of them are, are for you if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the promises are good and guaranteed because of Christ. It's not because we earn them, earn anything. It's not because we deserve anything. It's because of Christ earned them and Christ deserved them. And God says, I'm going to bless you because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Let me ask you this. Do you think God ever made a promise to his son Jesus that he did not keep? Don't think so. 
I think he kept every promise he ever made. All the promises are good. Now, what I want you to remember is this. All the promises of God are a yes in, in, in Christ. You know, there's a little phrase that echoes all the way through the Bible, at least in the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If we are in Christ. Listen, when you receive Jesus Christ, not only is he in you, but you're in him. And when you're in Christ, everything God has to give is for you. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Now, if all the promises of God are, are for us in Christ, what are some of those promises? Which is where I wanted to go today all, all, the whole time. Stop and think about all the promises of God in the Scripture. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now let me ask you this, do you, do you have any desires of your heart? God says, if you'll delight yourself in me, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he says, I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. You say, well, wait a second. Well, I can't afford that. That's too good to be true. That's like asking for something that's impossible. And God says, listen, I'm the God of the impossibilities. There are no impossibilities with God. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I, I think of Joel chapter 2, verse 25. You remember Joel was the, the prophet. It seems like there were years when his life, everything he worked for just collapsed around him. Have you ever felt like, Lord, I've just been, a, I've just been a, I'm just a massive failure? This is what God said to Joel. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, he said, I'm going to restore to you the... Restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And the imagery is this. Here's a farmer. He's worked hard. His crops are out. His crops are growing. The rain has come. They're doing well. And then a massive herd of locusts have come in and they've just devoured everything. And that's happened over and over. And here's the farmer says, Lord, I've worked so hard and I have nothing to show for it. The imagery is this, Lord, I've worked all these years and I just feel like I'm an, a massive failure. And God looks at you and me and says, the same thing I promised Joel, I can promise you. I can restore everything that's been lost. I can restore relationships. I can restore friendships. I can restore hell. Listen, there is nothing he can't restore, Okay. I'll restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And those are just a couple from the Old Testament. Look in Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That was a promise. You ever feel like you're all alone? I, I got an email yesterday. Actually, it was a direct message on, on Twitter, to be specific. And I had a, a gentleman in our, in our church, and I, and I loved him. He's a sweet guy. And he just wrote me, talked about his dad, how his daddy died, how his pastor died. He says, I, he says and, and, I, and I, was, I left eight years ago. I'm no longer his pastor, but he still calls me pastor. And he said, I feel like I'm all alone. You ever felt that way? I want to tell you, this is a little secret. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And you may feel all alone, but you're not all alone, okay? 
Or consider John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done for you. That's a promise. It's an if-then proposition. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That word abide is the Greek word meno. It means to remain. Be steadfast. He said, if you will hold fast to me and and let my word hold fast to you. He said, ask what you will, I'll give it to you. You know, so many times I'm, I'm afraid that our prayer life is, is like a Christmas occasion. And Christmas comes and Christmas goes and you look under the Christmas tree and there's a dozen Christmas presents that were never opened. A lot of times I think our promises to God for us are like that. God said, you never asked for them. You never claimed them. You never got them. You abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Let's, let's not be guilty of failing to ask for what we need. Or consider Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, listen, you don't need to worry. You need to trust. You don't need to worry, you need to pray. You don't need to worry about the circumstances, you need to focus on me who's Lord of the circumstances. Be anxious. That says, don't worry about anything. Well, then there's Philippians 4.13. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, when you and I are totally at the end of our rope, God's just getting started. He says, I'll give you strength when you think there is no strength left. My daughter Ashley has two sons, one and three. Have you ever had a one-year-old and a three-year-old who are both sick at the same time? And you finally get one down at 12.30 and the next one and the other one wakes up at 2 o'clock. And they kind of alternate up and down, up and down all night long. And night goes into day, which moves on into night. And you're just absolutely exhausted and at the end of your rope. That happens. Happens all the time. But I want to tell you this. The Lord said, I will give you strength. Trust me. Or there's Philippians 4.19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You say, Lord, I, there's not enough, not, not enough money left at the end of the month. And God says, listen, you trust me, I can take care of you. You trust me and I can take care of you. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul said this, he said, my, where God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, the weaker we are, the stronger God can be on our behalf. Or Ephesians 6, 17. Where Paul talked about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word, that, that, the word there is rhema. It means the appropriated. Lord, I'm trusting you with this Word of God. We're back to... One of my favorite verses, Job chapter 23, verse 10. He knows the way I've taken. When I've been tested, I'll come forth as pure gold. Job had a few difficulties. 
But God said, Job, when it's all said and done, you're going to come out just fine. And God says the same thing about you and me. When all the difficulties are over, when all the trials are over, everything's going to be just fine. So you trust me. You trust me. All the promises of God are for us who are in Christ. That's what I want to say to you. I just ran through a litany of those promises. And by the way, there are thousands of promises in the Bible. And they're all for you if you'll sit there and claim it and trust God to make it real. Or you may be at church today and somebody dragged you in or maybe you just felt like you needed to come. And you say, well, I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. Are there any promises for me? And the Bible says, yes, there are some for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God says, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'll give you everlasting life. That's for you. If you're not a believer, God says, that's for you. Or John 1.12, one of my favorite verses, As many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe upon his name. Or Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are for people who are outside of God's family. And God says, the invitation is for you. You come. Now, claiming the promises of God, number one, requires knowing the identity of God. He's a a a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. Number two, it requires embracing the intentions of God. God says all the promises of God are yes in Christ, and all the promises of God are for us who are in Christ. Which leads me to the third major point. Claiming the promises of God requires responding to the initiatives of God. Look back for just a moment in verse 20. The scripture says this. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. He says, listen, it's for believers. He said, I'm not writing this for myself. I'm writing this for you. And then I want to drop down to the last, verse 24, that last verse we read, where Paul says, but we are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Two key ideas here. First of all, God's promises are appropriated by faith. The word faith, F-A-I-T-H. Here's an acrostic, forsaking all, I trust him. God, when everything looks like it's lost, I'm going to trust you. When God, I have no more strength, I'm going to trust you. When everything seems like it's falling apart, God, I'm going to trust you. God says, I want you to trust me. One of the great verses on this is Ephesians 2, then verse 8 through verse 10. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is God's initiative. That's God speaking, God promising, God communicating his word and his and And helping us to see Jesus clearly. Grace is God reaching out. Faith is us responding to what God is doing. It's trusting God. I'm trusting you. And what I want to ask you is this. Will you trust God with what you know? Will you trust God with your life? Will you trust God with your kids? Will you trust God with your finances? Will you trust God with your vocation? With your education? Will you trust God with your kids and your grandkids? Will you trust God with your parents and your grandparents? Will will you, bottom line, will you trust God? Will you trust God with your church? You know, it's it's an incredibly insightful truth 
when we realize that the church is God's church and not our church. Sometimes we want to own it. And God says, no, I own it. Now, God's promises are appropriated by faith. Sometimes we have to learn that the hard way. Did you know that? A little over 20 years ago, I went on a mission trip to China. And I, I wanted to go to China, number one, because I was invited. Number two, my, my uncle and aunt and cousins had been missionaries in China. Uh, my uncle, Ralph, had been a missionary with the China Inland Mission. And uh, eventually, they left China when Mao Zedong said, I'll either kill you or I can let you leave. And he said, okay, we'll leave. We'll go to the Philippines. But I wanted to go to China. And I had an opportunity to go. I was invited to preach. Uh, I went to a place called Changsha. That was where Mao Zedong was born. Uh, it's one of the nastiest places in the world I've ever been. And while I was there, I got sick. I, I picked up a bug. And it eventually became what's called an autoimmune deficiency. And I got very, very sick and uh, developed what's called a, a renal vein thrombosis. If you're a doctor or a nurse, you know that. It's a huge blood clot. And I had been diagnosed with, a, with this autoimmune deficiency. They had done a kidney biopsy, which is a nasty thing in and of itself. But uh, about two months after the kidney biopsy, I started having this little pain in, in the small of my back. And so I called the, the nephrologist, and, and, and we lived in Nashville at the time, and the nephrologist, the, the kidney doctors were the best. They wrote the textbook on kidneys, okay? And uh, I called the doctor first thing on a, a Monday morning. I said, you know, I've, I've got this pain in the small of my back, and it may be related to kidneys. And she said, well, come in and see me. So I went in and saw her. She looked at me. She said, you know, it's probably nothing. But she said, uh, I'm going to give you some pain medication for it. It felt like a, an ice pick in the small of my back, okay? And as the day went by on Monday, it got worse. <clears throat> I couldn't, I slept about an hour on, with, with a sleeping medication. I slept about an hour that night and got up and walked back and forth the rest of the night. The next morning, I called her and said, you know, I, it's still bothering me. It's still hurting. She said, well, come in and see me again. So I go the second day. And she says, let me give you a little something stronger for this. She says, it's probably nothing but she says, I'm going to, I just want to make, we just want to be sure. She says, call me if it's not better by tomorrow. Well, you know the story. Wednesday morning I called her. I said, it's still bothering me. I said, it really, really hurts. And she says, well, it's probably nothing, but just to be safe rather than sorry, I'm going to schedule an MRA for you, which is like an MRI. And at Vanderbilt at that time, they had the kind where they stick you in a tube about this big around, and you go in head first, and it's a nasty, horrible, claustrophobic experience. They stick me in head first. They put these headphones on me. I, I, you, you have no idea how miserable I was. My back was hurting. Uh, I had made the mistake. We, I, I pastored the church right across from the Grand Ole Opry for 23 years, and, I, and somebody had given me a CMT jacket. And they said, what kind of music you want to listen to? And the guy looked, took one look at me and said, I know what kind you want to listen to. You want to listen to that good old country music. Now, I like good country music, but I, did, I don't like that old twangy stuff. And Lord have mercy, they stuck me in that hole. <laughs> and, and it was the, listen, it was some of the worst music I'd ever heard in my life. 
And I, and I was in there for an hour and a half. And they finally pulled me out. And they had the radiologist standing there. He says, you need to go to admissions. And I said, can I just go home and try to get some rest and come back tomorrow? And he looked at me. He says, if you go home tonight, you won't have it tomorrow. And I had a massive, massive blood clot that was moving up the vena cava. And they took me to admissions. They, they basically hooked me up to a heparin bag for 10 days. It was a nasty, nasty experience. But I remember that night in the hospital, laying there, thinking, Lord, have mercy. What's going on? And I thought to myself, you know, I really don't want, Lord, I don't want to die. But I realized I'm not afraid to die. Because as a believer, all we do is we step from this side to the other side. And, you know, we don't even lose consciousness. We just move from this side to the other side. But I didn't want my kids, to, and I had, my kids were teenagers by then. I didn't want them to grow up um, without a daddy. I didn't want my wife to be without a husband. And uh, I remember thinking, Lord, I don't know what's going on. But I want you to know I'm trusting you. And what I learned was this. Don't look at God through your problems. Look at your problems through the promises of God. And all I can remember doing was, was thinking this, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm going through this. But Lord, I want you to know I'm trusting you in this. And the, the God, it's, it's like the God who got me in this mess got me out of it. But I learned and I was reminded very severely that God's promises are appropriated by faith. Lord, I'm trusting you. When everything looks like it's going wrong, I'm trusting you. And then one other thing. Still speaking about promise, claiming the promises of God require responding to the initiatives of God. I have to say, Lord, I know it's appropriated by faith. But I also know that God's promises are for the purpose of glorifying the Father. You see, we got a world that's watching us. And they want to know this. Is God true? Is God real? And the subsidiary question is, are you true and are you real? And what the world desperately needs to see is a people that know God, that know that he's good, that know that he's great, and know that he's trustworthy. You know, Churches from time to time go through difficulties. All Christians from time to time go through difficulties. And the key to surviving and thriving in the difficulties is saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cost, Lord, I'm trusting you. And what I want to say to you is when you're at your weakest, God can do his greatest work. I tell my students, I have one character flaw that I, that I confess. I'm a Yankee fan. You know, my, sometimes my emotions rise and fall with the Yankees. 
have nothing to say about Boston in the last three days. <laughs> but it was May 15, 1941. The Yankees had the Chicago team come to play the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built. And Chicago had a guy named Edgar Smith on the mound, and he was fabulous that day. And the Yankees got clobbered 13 to 1, one of the worst losses the Yankees have ever had. They were clobbered 13 to 1. And the only thing that the paper said good about that game was that Joe DiMaggio got a hit, which doesn't really say a whole lot. But what happened was he got a hit that day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next game, for 56 straight games, he got a hit. And he set a record that will never be broken. Major League Baseball. And the truth that comes out of that little story is this. The lowest day in their history actually marked the beginning of the season of their greatest victory. And friend, the issue is not where you are. It's where God wants to take you. And he says, if you'll trust me, and if you'll trust my promises, and if you'll put your faith in my son, I can take care of everything else. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. And we thank you for the privilege of opening the word of God. And Father, I know there's some people here who are hurting and struggling who desperately need to start fresh with you. And Lord, this very moment may be the season of their greatest failures and their greatest defeats and their greatest humiliation. And Father, I want to pray, Lord, would you just give grace to people today, speak to people today in such a way that they say, Lord, today I want to start over with you. Father, it well may be that there's somebody in this room today who's never taken that very first step to trust you. And Father, I know that you gave a promise that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we fail to do, that if we would simply put our faith and trust in you like a simple little child, Lord, you will save us, you'll forgive us, You'll make us brand new. You'll let us start over if we'll simply place our faith in you. And Father, my prayer is that today that unbelievers who are here would take that step of faith and say, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. And that believers here who may have been defeated, may be discouraged, say, Lord, today, I'm going to trust in your promises. Father, we ask you to to speak and to move in the hearts and lives of people right now. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask all of us to stand. We're going to have a simple time of invitation.
You say, what's an invitation for? Exactly what the word means. We invite you to respond to what you've heard. There's some of you who've never given your life to Christ. There's a promise for you. We invite you to come. When you come, we're going to meet you right here at the front and pray with you and talk to you and help you know how to walk with Christ. Others of you are struggling with some issues and you need to start fresh with the Lord. We invite you to come. Some of you have been visiting here for a while. You're not a member. You know, I remember we used to laughing at, at church because we've had people who visited for so long we thought they were members, but they weren't. But if you've never linked your life up with this congregation, we invite you to come. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you've not been baptized, baptism won't save you. But baptism is something that marks you as somebody who is saved. If you've never taken care of that, good time to take care of it. So we're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to come right now.